Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, the 11th of February, 2023, and it's morning. I have my coffee, and I am joined today by the master of handhelds, Wido. Hi, hi. And the master of old and ancient games, Diego. Hello, everyone. Have you been? Quite busy on my side, heavily multitasking, juggling different things at work and also non-work stuff. How about you? I've been great, uh, very busy, uh, playing a lot of games, organizing. Um, but uh, other than that, yeah, uh, health-wise, all good. How about you, Wido? Yeah, I'm fine as well. It's, it's still, there's, there's suddenly, every time when you think, oh, I have an empty agenda or an empty calendar, then, uh, then there's something, happens. something, someone wants to plan it uh, all the way in. So, uh, yeah, there's always something, but... Uh, I'm glad we uh, finally could uh, have some time to record now. Yeah. It's always hard to find a slot, but it's always worth it. I notice you have a microphone that's very far from your face. How do you do that? I Mine has to I literally be in my mouth in order for me to, li- to oh, really? hear my voice. Well, yeah. uh, when I do that, then it's really, the, 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 the sound is way too loud. I think it's just the microphone. But you are, both of you are so professional when it comes to recording. But as I am apparently a master of ancient things, <laughs> I am using a very basic Logitech headset. Oh, yeah, but you sound fine. Yeah. I just bought this uh, secondhand uh, from someone locally. And uh, he had that, that arm and that microphone. And it was like, I think, 30 euros or something. It was, I thought I had to uh, up my uh, podcasting game after some <laughs> recordings with just my MacBook microphone, which was pretty terrible in retrospect yeah the thing that baffles me as well that we've got all this posh gear but Diego always he seems to sound better anyways (laughs) (laughs) well maybe it's just his uh, smooth voice oh yes oh yes (laughs) thank you but I I don't exactly agree with that but (laughs) thank you Um, uh, what have you been up to guys so it's been a busy week uh, well, yesterday I finally got some time to to stream again, and um, there, uh, uh, there was a, a new Quake release, which I uh, will talk about a little later. But uh, so I could finally have a little slot of uh, streaming uh, yesterday. So that was uh, really uh, great to to be back somehow, some yeah. sort of. And uh, I also bought a Mio Mini handheld device. Do you know what it is? I looked it up very briefly, and I'm just like, "What? Another handheld? What? What is that of about?" Of course, <laughs> I, I need more handhelds. <laughs> now, the Mio Mini is just a little Chinese uh, cheap uh, uh, handheld which has uh, Linux uh, on it, and it's all emulation. But it's uh, yeah, really easy to set up, and it's just a really tiny device which is like really easy to bring with you and uh, it just fits in your pants. <laughs> Actually, but what about the, the analog pocket? Yeah, that that's way too big. And when it breaks, and I, then I'll cry. And the Mio Mini is just like a, uh, a little thing for outside of the house. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but 
Yeah, and also the Mio Mini does Pico 8, and I always wanted to dive into the Pico 8 games. Oh, that's amazing. That's really cool. Yeah, so that you have the little small handheld, which is literally, it fits in my palm of my hands. It's really small. And then you have the Pico 8 games, which are also really tiny resolution, which really works really well to play these games on, on that small device. So... Uh, I only use it for Pico 8 now, and it's just working tremendously, actually. It's a really nice, small thing. That's a really good selling point for me, I'm thinking, because Pico 8, I've looked it up, and uh, I think it's really amazing what they can do with that little game engine and how well it works. And um, it might be something that I consider getting as well at a certain point. Are there any other handhelds that do Pico 8, or is that the only one? No, probably all those Linux handhelds do that, but... But there's, there, it's also not the real Pico 8 uh, engine which runs on that thing. It's also an emulator, a Pico 8 emulator. Oh, I see, I see, I see. So it doesn't, I think it works like for 90%. There's some bugs in there, but it will improve, I think. And uh, But yeah, for now, it, it runs fine enough for me to, to just sit down and play them. Because normally uh, you would play them on the brow in the browser or something. And for me... It doesn't work too great for for games. I agree. So, uh, I agree. So this is a great solution to uh, to to play these games, and uh, it's a really fun library to explore. There's a lot of interesting indie games which are with really funky me mechanics, and and the mostly they are really short, so it's like uh, half an hour, and then you're done, and that's also great just to explore little tiny uh, things but there's also full-blown 3d stuff in there it's cra crazy what people can do. yeah All there's right. people who make 3d games in there well i think the the pico 8 is super limited in uh, in what you can do with it there's only a certain amount of lines you of code you can use and also a certain color palette how do you load the games into it it's sd yeah uh, pico 8 games are distributed with uh, png files which are then then the cartridges, and in those PNG files are also is also the code. Oh so my you god, just, that's awesome! Just you, so you just uh, copy the PNG files to your SD card, and then it just works, which is uh, quite crazy. The cartridge size is thirty to eight thirty two k maximum in Pico Eight, and it has sixteen colors, and with a one hundred uh, 28 by 128 resolution so very uh, small very small yeah it's very small but somehow people make 3d stuff in there which is yeah that's it's almost like the demo scenes from yesteryear it's crazy like it's lovely like um yeah i saw i saw it and i thought I, I want to try and make a game it seems very easy but i'm sure it's not if i actually delve into it it's it's but, in lua script so i don't know pretty, lua well oh, that's interesting I know a little bit of it, but I'm very rusty on it. That's an interesting choice. It, it, it's not that difficult of a programming language, uh, as far as I know. And uh, I also delved a bit into it. And when you program uh, for Pico 8, you download the software, which is also the fantasy console, which they they call it like that. And you can yeah, yeah, yeah. also design your sprite in, in that software. You can design your uh, music in that software. You can... There's there's certain parts in the and also the the, the sprite map the 
the tile maps and stuff, you also make in that software. So it's one ecosystem where you can make everything and test everything. And you can also download all those PNGs of other creators. And you can, it's all open source. So you can copy paste the code from uh, other creators. For example, uh, the game Celeste is made as a sort of prototype demo in, uh, in Pico 8 initially. And uh, you can just look into that code and, for example, copy over the, the, the jumping and running mechanics. So you have like, in, uh, immediately you have a really solid uh, mechanics in your game because you copied like the, the best out there. So. That's a very, very cool idea, very cool idea. It's uh, something that I definitely want to look into more, especially Pico 8 as itself. So the fantasy console, that sort of stuff. I did, I did read about it and very fascinating and really interesting for me. So I really want to try that at some point in my life, maybe where I'm retired. Diego, what have you been doing? Well, um, not gaming wise, I've been trying to ramp up my gym activities. I know you are a long time uh, fan of going to the gym, having workout plans and such, but I never managed to. I think it, this is the fourth time in my life I try to start and always broken down in, after a couple of months, usually. Well, That's it's, the way how, how it goes always, <laughs> but mm, for everybody, I think. <laughs> yeah, for me especially. So this time I try to step up a bit and actually get a personal trainer. So she tested me out, made me do lots of exercise, like almost two hours of exercises to test how every single muscle in my body works. And she figured out what could be a good fitness plan that uh, I'm not looking for like getting big and muscular. I'm just looking for improving my health as I do it. So now I have a plan and been trying a couple of times. I must say it's harder than I thought, <laughs> despite still, you know, I'm still starting off with very, very small amount of weights. And yep. in, in some machines, not even that, it's just the, the blank machine, but it's harder than I thought. <laughs> some of that stuff, it's, um, it's pretty challenging for me. When we get to this age, you know, it starts to become like a geriatric gym and we just go for survival, survival gym. <laughs> but is she watching over you when, you, uh, when you're when you training or is it, was it just an initial plan she, she made and you just stick with it? Or is she really like looking, the personal trainer, is she looking like while you're training or how does that work? Well, uh, it worked so far that we, we just met two times first time she tested me out and the second time she guided me through the whole set and uh, of course she gave me instruction whenever i wasn't doing something properly so now the plan is that i'll i'll keep i'll stick to that plan and keep doing it for at least uh, three four months and then probably we'll have another session together so she'll check how i'm doing and this stuff yeah the interesting thing was that uh, she didn't particularly recommend uh, weight to put on each machine, but just told me to go with what feels challenging enough, but still uh, comfortable so that I don't get sore muscles or anything like that. That she totally left me out to figure out. But the exercises, well, those were 
things that I would not have been able to figure out myself, not just with the machines that usually there's one way, I suppose, only one way to use them, but also free body exercises or exercises with simple tools like, uh, oh my God, what's the name of uh, that? Uh, dumbbells? Dumbbells. Yeah, dumbbells. Right? Okay. Well done. <laughs> or sticks and uh, elastic bands and things like that. And those I didn't even know they existed, but that's um, that's what I'm going to have to do next few months at least. Well, we'll check in on you in a couple of months and ask you how's it how it's going. If you've got sore muscles or if you feel better or not. Right. Uh, maybe well, maybe we'll track. see the difference uh, as well. Maybe we should screenshot this uh, this uh, window and can compare after a few months. Okay. <laughs> I can send you the. Uh, I can record my weight. For example, and send you the statistics <laughs> <laughs> if you wish. So I've taken my son to the gym with me last week, and it was a very interesting <laughs> for the first time. So he's just turned twelve, and uh, we, we said, "Well, let's go to the gym." He's really looking forward to it, getting muscles and, uh, and becoming stronger, especially. So I took him there, and I thought I could train with him, but uh, instead, it was all—he was all over the place. Oh, look at this machine! I want to try this. I want to try it. Five seconds on one machine, then he goes, "Oh, I want to try this." And five seconds on another machine, and because he's so young, I have to be with him all the time. And basically, it ended up with not training at all. Basically, <laughs> just looking. Looking at him trying one machine, the other machine, the other machine, the other machine, and it was a funny experience. It was his first day, first time. So hopefully we'll go again together, though. But uh, it was an uninteresting un experience, to be fair. Anything else from you, Diego? Oh, what else? Well, uh, I finally got a nice evening out with my wife, and we decided to try oh, some nice. fine dining. And uh, in particular, in this case, we wanted to try the vegan option. Um, I am not vegan. All right. I eat mostly everything. But uh, I thought it was an interesting thing to do because I also think on restaurants, it's kind of easy to serve meat dishes or fish dishes and be successful at that. But if you go completely vegetable-based, at least to me, it sounds more challenging. So I wanted to test it out. And I must say that it was a very nice experience. Oh, good. I don't know if you are into fine dining, but that's by that I mean the kind of restaurants where they have lots of diminutive servings, very tiny portions, but you get to taste many, <laughs> many dishes, each of which is a sort of piece of art in the sense that it's very unusual and it also look very unusual these things some of them look almost like alien food to me to be honest yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there was there, there was one that really looked weird at first sight you you got this very tiny dish very tiny plate uh, and it looked like it was full of white foam alien dribble and below the foam there was a there was a sort of a thick jelly liquid that looked like phosphorescent green something that it would would have fit fine you know in a moss Eisley cantina from star wars or something like that <laughs> <laughs> it didn't look like food at all but but it was so good it was really good what did it taste of 
it were, all of these were combinations of many ingredients and uh, they went a long way explaining all this stuff also when they served you it took a long time it took a long time course, to go through yeah, the whole yeah. dinner it was like two hours and a half god because every time first they they bring you the the drinks and they explain what the drinks are how they made them if they are special in any case my wife got the alcoholic drinks i had to drive so i got the unalcoholic drinks then we shared it a little bit and every choice was really well thought out what do you mean i mean that they really thought what would go the best possible way with that uh, with that dish and it was never never something obvious even the wines there were uh, not just okay very good white wine no it was this special wine from germany where they use this particular technique or it's made for this particular type of grapes and another was a 30 years old sake from japan another one was a special brew of Ooh. beer that didn't use hops uh, and they explained now of course uh, i forgot all of it because it's been just a few days and there were so many details that i couldn't just remember all of them anyway but there was always a reason like uh, this beer because of the bitter taste would go fine with this dish but then without the hops because then the acidity is different something like that and then each dish was many mostly unusual ingredients uh, it was a very seasonal choice and very local uh, harvested vegetables or picked berries and mushrooms for example those are very ab abundant here in finland but many of them i barely knew the name of and uh, always they explain how they combined and why and how did they prepare these quinoa seeds puffing them in a certain way and then grilling them in another way but i must say that all these were incredibly good they tasted incredibly good and expensive well that's another matter of course <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm i'm vegan for almost five years now so, so yeah before that uh, i really liked the taste of meat so uh it, like a lot of people say oh it's easy you don't like meat anyway but that's not that i stopped eating meat and drinking milk and stuff just like the ethics of it mm. and also the health benefits health benefits but uh, mainly uh, the ecological impact of eating uh, animal products so that's why i stopped and not because i didn't like it and i have similar dinners uh, as you had and what you say it's really easy to just throw a slab of meat on the table and people are enjoying it yeah. just a steak and but like finding all those different tastes in vegetables and stuff it's it's really nice to explore all those new stuff for five years already and still i learn a lot of new things a lot of new different vegetables or fruits which i otherwise never tasted and actually it's it's way more uh, diverse than what you eat and uh, way more interesting than just give a me a steak yeah, yeah. <laughs> i agree i agree and we have basically the same motivations here so ethicals and economical like on a grand scale not economical for ourselves necessarily i agree also when you say diverse taste because i 
now realize that the diversity of completely different tastes in the vegetable world is much bigger. Like, of course, there's difference in, in each meat and each cut of meat, but it's still meat. The difference is not as big as, say, between a tomato and an artichoke, for example, that completely different taste. And diversity, is, it's, really, it's really much bigger then. And uh, in this case, they actually went quite far into finding things that are unusual. Also, with my unalcoholic drinks, it wasn't just fruit juice. They were adding um, uh, herbs and spices and even uh, flowers that were used more, most commonly in perfumes. And I also must say that the whole thing was very, very, very well choreographed because the menu was titled like Ode to Nature. Everything was presented also in a very artistic way. And they really thought about all these details. Like in some of these drinks, uh, when you start drinking or just before drinking, just picking up the glass and putting your face into the glass, you would smell like grass or hay. My God. As a sort of... Like a uh, horse. <laughs> as a, yeah, I know what you're thinking, but the drinks didn't taste like hay. Yeah, yeah. The drink tasted like uh, something else, but they managed to make it so that as you dive into the glass, you get this feeling of being there, like in a, in a meadow or in a forest or with another drink. I don't know, maybe in a stable. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking with the donkeys. Yeah, in a haystack, maybe. <laughs> but in, in a field full, full of haystacks, and like in the nature, it was really amazing. And uh, some presentations were very funny. There were, there were some sweets, the very last sweets, desserts. They looked like uh, giant drops, but they weren't liquid. They were solid and they were served on a rock, like a very nice looking rock, like granite or something. And you would pluck them off the rock and eat them like, like little jellies made of berries or some other um, extra herb or spice. And once again, it, it looked very, very weird, very weird way to, to eat uh, any kind of food. But everything was, was really nice. And yeah, besides, uh, obviously, the, the bill at the end. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And that's all, always the case. I have a, a very similar experience. So we don't go often out to fine dining because it's very expensive. But my experience usually is very similar to yours. And... Um, we go to a plant-based location here in Nottingham as well. We enjoy it. Usually they come and they explain everything like yourself, like, like they did for you. And we just listen. But I don't think no one is really listening. <laughs> no one remembers after they've gone away what they said. We just look with a very interested face. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And they go away. It's okay. Let's Sounds eat. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But definitely the, the flavors are always very unique and uh, very, I don't know unusual as you say and yeah and some of it does look alien food and um i don't know if you know but i think in some circumstances they do use vegetables to reproduce um alien props like the cabbage i've seen being used to reproduce like some uh ruined skin if you have the image of a cabbage leaf it's all full of little veins and stuff mm -hmm. and they use that as a mold to make like plastic and and um, latex uh, overlays for the face or for parts of the body that have been injured by fire or like a horror films 
it's really interesting how All right. how they, they actually that. use nature yeah, for that. More of uh, different structures or different uh, yeah. some, different liquids and stuff with uh, with uh, all those different uh, vegetables, which is yes. That's which is right. really cool. Yeah, you can really you can really change things up. Well, maybe we can uh, start a vegan podcast as well. <laughs> I know, I know. Vegans, uh, well, here's my journey. So I used to eat loads of meat, like yourself, going to the gym every day, loads of steaks. Um, and then I had a problem that I could not solve, apparently with medicines. And I tried not eating meat and dairy for a while. And that's basically solved my problems, really. And since then, I... I barely touched any meat and any dairy at all. So it seemed to work out for me so in some respect. From you, you're, you're started because of health reasons. Yes, um, not as much ethical reasons, uh, I must admit, mostly health reasons. And my journey then was, okay, let's explore everything that's plant-based. And uh, we did, and uh, you can have very unhealthy diets in in a plant-based environment yeah, as well. Of course, like I always say uh, you can eat like uh, chips and uh, and Coca-Cola every day, and then you're uh, vegan too. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's not the most healthy diet uh, out there. I know, I know. And so basically, we went through this uh, whole rigmarole where we start off with all that junk food, and then the processed food. So all these uh, weird things like the foam and the green jelly and. And then I think, uh, in in my personal opinion, I think your body does not really understand what that is. And so after going through all that, we went back to a really simple diet with a very uh, as simple as we can get it. So I don't know, steamed veg and some beans, some really down to earth and non processed stuff for now. And that's where we're at now. From my perspective, not much to say about what I've been up to really because I have been really busy with life and work. I have, however, got a new video card for my PC, my Pentium machine. I didn't remember that the number of megabytes corresponded to the number of colors on the screen and the resolution. So I just had like a two megs video card, which basically gives you 800 by 600 in, I think, 256 colors. And I wanted more. So I I got this card that's got, I think, four megs, which allows for more colors at that low resolution. And... I haven't installed it yet or anything. And that's that. On a different note, I have been on public transport here in Nottingham. This because I had to, remember I said that I had to go on an emergency trip to Italy and I took a bus there. And in Italy, you prepay the ticket in a, for the bus. So you go to a bus stop, there's a bus ticket and you actually pay for the ticket. You get the ticket and you go on the bus. And I just remembered then in England, <clears throat> it's not like that. So in England, you, you have to have cash at hand and go on the bus and purchase the ticket. Now, that has recently changed. But I just wondered, guys, what is it like in your in your countries? How do you actually board a, a public transport, um, like a bus or something or a train? And is it safe? Because in England, sometimes I've witnessed some really, really horrific stories in the bus. First person experience. Well, for us, it's uh, it's uh, nowadays. Well, it's probably already ten years now. We have like a, a, a separate card, which is like a RFID card, which you have to uh, get in advance, and you can pre-charge that with money, and then you can use that to check in and also check out. And then when you check out of the bus or the train or whatever, then it calculates the cost of your uh, journey. And it's similar to Japan, that yeah. 
Uh, I can't remember Japan. <laughs> in Japan, they have a card called Suica, and then you can charge some money on it, and then you go in and out with that card, and then it calculates the journey and takes the money off. Oh, so, yeah. I remember just throwing coins into the machine in Japan. but maybe And you can buy the tickets yeah, as well. Yeah, I think, I think that I did that. And, uh, and now, uh, I think uh, since last week or something, you can also just use your bank uh, card for the same thing. So you you don't have to get a separate uh, card anymore. So but just... before that, before that, did you used to buy tickets at the ticket shop? Yeah, did before you... that, for the train, you had to buy tickets at the ticket shop. And what about the bus? And bus and uh, tram, and they have like a card which uh, you can get stamps on. So you, it's like a, a sort of prepaid card which allows you for like 15 trips. Okay. And they put like a stamp, a stamp with a date on it. On it when you go and then you can see how many stamps you have and how many trips you still have left that's also so, super interesting i've never heard that before <laughs> uh, yeah uh like like uh, like uh, when you get coffee uh sometimes yeah, you have custom. like the yeah, yeah. you have the stamp cards as well but it's super safe i think in the, in the train but what I, what i know is that it's super busy as well in the uh, in the morning oh, yes. and it's also getting way too expensive in, in my own in my opinion, it's like I pay maybe half of it when I go with my car. So oh, all those right. trips. So I've, I've, I never go with public transport anymore, which is silly because we have a great network, but it's just too expensive. Uh, That's incredible. Yeah, it's expensive in England as well. But it's uh, also, yeah, I found the safety of, of the England one. I mean, it is safe, but I did witness some really horrible stories like uh, people coming on the train uh, sorry coming uh, on the bus and they would probably be arguing with some old fella uh, I remember and they were trying to start a fight with an old fella in the bus oh yeah but it was all, it's, it's public transport so you have to deal with people and there's always crazy people out there <laughs> if you're in your car you're alone and then then you're well I, I say that but I am have a lot of crazy people on the road as well. So, uh. Oh, okay. So it's very similar. But <laughs> yeah. here it's quite often, you know, um, I'm not saying England isn't safe, but um, I find myself more often than not being a bit like wary of my surroundings, let's say, when I'm outside here. And especially when I take the bus, I've witnessed some really like gangs confronting each other on the road in plain daylight. And wow, I'm not used to that stuff, you know. And um, mm. Very, very not frightening, but yeah, very off-putting. Uh, how how is it in in Finland? If you have to board public transport, do you do you have a stamp system, or did you used to have a stamp system? Well, I guess your experience might vary depending on the municipalities, but uh, the most common thing is we also have a a card that you prepaid, and uh, if you have the card, you just uh, use it when you enter the bus, but that's it. You don't need to use it when you exit the, the bus. It doesn't pre-calculate anything. But bigger cities might have zones. So if you need to travel across multiple zones, you are going to tell the driver because you need to be charged a little bit more from your oh, car. Right. So it's not as fine detailed as the real distance. It's big blocks of town into which the town is divided. But you can also pay cash. I think this is still very much possible normally in Finland public transportation. So you get in the bus and you pay the cash. And you can pay and just uh, to the driver 
themselves. Uh, do you have any recollection of how it was before having the card? Was it just cash? Well, as far as I've been here, the card has always been there. Yeah, northern they places are, always more advanced. They are always yeah. early with these yeah. ideas. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we had to have the cash, and I remember my parents coming around one of the times, and they didn't have any cash, and it's like, well, what do you do? Oh, you can't, you can't board the, you can't board the bus, and then you have to go to an ATM get the cash. That was really now. Now that's changed, you know, so that's fine. But uh, I was just like, whoa! I wonder how it is or how it was in other places. So there you have it. Right, guys, it's time for games. It's all about the games here. So off we go with what we've been playing. Yeah, yeah. Let's start. Yeah, uh, um, I I got a review copy of the Wonders uh, Wonder Boy Anniversary Collection. And I was really interested in this because I really love to play the Wonder Boy Dragon's Trap on my Game Gear last year. So I saw this coming around and I thought, I, I need this. So it's for, it's for Game Gear? Uh, no, the Wonder Boy collection is for my Switch. So it's a, it's a new, uh, oh, new collection. Yeah, it's, it's a great collection. It's, it has, I think, uh, six games. Okay. But it also has all the vari uh, variations of it, so the arcade versions and also the the all the different like uh, Master System versions, the SG hundred hundred versions, the, the Mega Drive versions. So does it also include the arcade versions then? Yes, the original old ones. Give us an That's example great. of a game that has all all these. Uh, for example, the original Wonder Boy, which is also uh, a lot of people know as. Adventure Island, or at least it's the, yeah. the same gameplay. It has uh, Arcade System 1, and the S SG-1000, the Master System, Game Gear, and then also it has the international and the Jap Japanese uh, variations. I think there was a release for the Amiga as well. Is that on there as well? I think there was. No, it's, I think they only did uh, Sega uh, ports, so that's one little complaint about it, but they did it includes 21 ports of all games. So Wait a minute, so a 21 lot. ports of one game? Or no, no, is no, it... of all games. So, so how many ports of each game, more or less? Varies, I guess. Yeah, varies a lot because, for example, Monster World 4 only has a Master System or a right. Mega, Drive, a Mega Drive version. So that right. has only the Japanese and, and the English version, which never released, I think, the English version. So that's new mm. for this collection. It also has a lot of guides and all the all the guides are scanned in all the promotional materials. Really extensive uh, collection. And even you can listen to the soundtracks. Do you have any preferred title of the series? Well, the first one is a little bit basic. It's basically sort of infinite runner game, like the the the, the standard Wonder Boy. But after that, it starts more like getting the metroidvania aspects of games so it gets more like get items and use them later on and buy items in shop and stuff so it gets better and better and i think the the, the where the meat on the bones is on this collection is like the dragon strap uh, and um, the monster world 3 and 4 which are really full-blown metroidvania games that's nice so uh yeah it's I, i'm Pretty impressed with the collection, but one major gripe with, uh, with no, which I have no. with this collection is the price. Oh my god! How much does it cost? It's fifty euros digitally. 
Hmm. So if we For do a calculation, basically five games, yeah. right? <laughs> so and also these games are uh, having separate remasters, which what does that mean? Also, for example, Wonder Boy in the Dragon Strap has a full-blown remaster, which is all oh, uh, hand-drawn art, really beautiful. All the music is remastered, and you can also switch to the original in that remaster on the fly. It's a really beautiful remaster, and that's like maybe. 15 euros <laughs> the last wonder boy also has a remaster which is full-blown 3d which is also like 20 euros so like why why is this 50 euros especially if i thought maybe if people are in slightly interested in this game in in these game series they probably won't buy this for 50 euros so how did you how do you buy it is it a rom is it a, a cartridge uh, you can buy it. I think you can't buy it on cartridge anymore. I think that's sold out. Okay, so you buy the phys- the digital copy at it's 50 just a euros. Digi- yeah, it's just the gi- digital copy. For and the digital euros. copy does not in- contain the 3D remasters? or does No, it? no, no. No, no, I see. Okay. And also okay. you can buy these ROMs in, uh, in Sega collections as, as well. And I see now. They are widely okay. available for cheaper. And then I think, okay, if you're interested in these games, are you willing to pay... 50 euros i think that's only for the super fans of this uh series mm, but right. what do you think of this well it's still cheaper than fine dining for sure <laughs> <laughs> and also probably way cheaper than buying the original cartridges that that's for sure yeah that's right but uh, it does sound a great collection anyway it does sound it i was surprised that you had a gripe with the yeah the price i understand but if you're getting like 21 versions of games I mean, yeah, but basically, it's five games. Or well, even if you one. so, it's ten pounds per game. Oh, sorry, ten euros per game. So, I mean, you get it legitimately, and then you get all the different versions. Um, don't know. I mean, you you know better than us. I just that doesn't sound. If you said a hundred pounds, I would be like, wow, fifty pounds. Yes, you're right. It's on the expensive side, but mm, you're getting five games with all different versions of it legitimately that that's true but yeah for example the castlevania collection which has i think more games yeah which is often i think it's normally it's 15 euros and i think if you if, on sale you can get it for three or four or something it's crazy cheap aye and aye. i think if you're slightly interested in castlevania you'll buy that in a heartbeat and try all these games out but if you have no nostalgia for wonder boy or whatsoever 50 euros yeah, really, yeah yeah it's just a pity that it's sort of gated behind that price point i think it's it could be fun to to let the younger people play these games but i think only super fans will buy it now and that's that that's really unfortunate because there's really gems in there. I really love the Dragon Strap. It's maybe one of my favorite games ever now. And I only played it last year for the first time. And there's really good uh, games in here. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of people won't see them ever because of this price point. Uh, yeah, I see. Well, uh, maybe they'll have a sale at some point. I see as well that you've been. You, know, you said before that you've been doing a Quake streaming. Quake streaming. Uh, what was that about? Yeah, I think yesterday or the day before, there a new uh, a new Quake episode dropped by uh, just a community. But they worked on it for two years, and I was already uh, super excited the last year. And, uh, <laughs> Imagine this year. 
Really? And, now, and, and now it finally released and it's, it was worth the wait. It was really great. It's, it's called Dwell. And uh, it's just a community effort to make four new episodes, new Quake episodes. All right. With uh, modern techniques, but also new, there's some new weapons, new enemies as well. And uh, all the music is done by a professional composer. And uh, he also does music for 3D, 3D realms. Uh, so That's it's really cool. professionally done everything. And it's so beautiful. And it, uh, it's, it's one of the best Quake experiences I ever had. I, I have to play through it all, but... I think I'm halfway through now and uh, I can't wait to play the rest. I love it, yeah. Have you ever played the RTX remaster of the Quake, the original Quake? Oh, uh, yeah, that's uh, that released, I think, two or three years ago. Yeah, that's a bit old, but it just came to my oh, mind. Oh, the RTX I... remaster. RTX need, but but not. But um, there's the remaster, which was at the 25th anniversary of Quake. Oh, right. I didn't and that's, I that's that. in uh, that's in Vulcan. That's... Uh, that's just a remaster, which is also on uh, on consoles, and it looks a bit better, maybe for some people. But for me, it's <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I, I really love the old. Yeah, I love yeah. the old graphics more. But uh, it's a really decent port, and it's often on sale for five euros. And I would would recommend to, for everyone to buy it because it's just too much. All fun. Quake lovers buy this. Yeah, but also maybe not Quake lovers because there is also the add-ons in there and there's a lot of new content. Uh, All right, so know. I'm not a Quake lover. I've ne- I never got into it, so sell it to me. <laughs> well, do you like other first-person shooters? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, I think that it's just the best boomer shooter of them of, of out there because it has the all the 3D, real 3D. So you have the verticality in this game as well. So it's Doom, but more verticality. So Oh, I see, I see. So you, Okay, but uh, isn't it just a PvP kind of map? A what? A PvP, PvP? player oh, versus player. Um, uh, those exist as well. There's a lot of uh, multi uh, deathmatch uh, maps in there as well. But Yeah, but it's always... Uh, isn't It's not campaign or something, is it? It's just no, like that's a, Quake. a you, map You're thinking you... about Quake 3. But Quake One is uh, just a, a single-player com- campaign, so. Uh, oh, okay. It's a okay. Lot of content and also. Oh, that makes yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that makes it better for me because PvP is not my my forte. And, and it's super fun because it's so insanely fast. It's uh, yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> yeah. you're a stick of hot butter in a pan. It's really like you're gliding along in the maps, which is really uh, fun. And there's also a lot of secrets always. So there's a lot of it's really fun to explore every map, and that's something which is lost in modern first-person shooters. For example, uh, Call of Duty or something. It's just um, you're just uh, sitting in a roller coaster, and they guide you through the game. But that's it. But Quake still has a lot of exploration in there, and that's that's part of the fun as well. Yeah, it sounds a bit like no frills kind of. Um action fps you know just just go blast get stuff get blast and get to the end of the level but yeah you know i can see the fun and um the appeal in in such a sort of game what else have you been playing well uh, for the show i played bulb hey. <laughs> and that's a game boy color game all right where you play as a light bulb and you <laughs> have to funny. save i think the the, the it's a really silly story you have to save the neighborhood of, of all the light bulbs getting destroyed or something it's really really sorry silly story but yeah it's a run and gun or run and jump platform platform okay 
And uh, there is one main mechanic which is different from every other platformer is that you start the level with the lights turned on. And then uh, when you start walking, then suddenly all the lights turn off. So you have to memorize where all the platforms are and you have to jump around and uh, try to get to the light switch, which is somewhere in the in the in the level. So are you you are the bulb, aren't you? Are you walking like you are the bulb? And so you, can you turn yourself on and, and eliminate? Uh, there's a little uh, indicator in the bottom which where you see that your light bulb get charged. Okay. And every now and then you can press the select button and then you can turn the li lights on for a really brief moment. And then you can see, oh, I can go there and there and there. And then you, it gets dark again and then you have to navigate the level even further until you find the light switch. And if you find the light switch, then uh, the light just regularly go turn on and then you have to find a fitting for your uh, light bulb <laughs> and uh, so you got screw on and bayonet yeah. oh that's so so you awesome to, you that's have, really you have to nice get in there so uh every level is broken into these two uh things so find the light switch and then find the the final point where you screw your light bulb in when you screw yourself in <laughs> yeah and um uh, later on, you get also the ability to shoot one time. If you uh, find a, a, a sparkling uh, electricity uh, point, you can get uh, one bullet. And then you can shoot uh, enemies which are walk walking around. And uh, normally, when you touch those enemies, you, you instantly die and start the level over. So, sorry, I'm going to ask another question here. So you're, you're platforming and jumping here and there in the dark, but there are enemies which you bump into and die. Is that right? Yeah, but the, the enemies you can always see. So oh, even okay. In the dark. And also some outlines of the levels. So not every platform is away. So some outlines you see, some outlines, uh, some platforms you don't see. So uh, you can sometimes guess where a platform is. And uh, yeah, that's basically the game. Have There's you finished also, the game? Yeah, uh, it's divided in four uh, different buildings where you have to go through every room and every time when you get on the top of the building there's a boss fight oh cool who's the boss okay, well, don't the spoil them or just give us one example <laughs> or two but. uh all the bosses are uh, are the aliens who are abducting the light bulbs i guess or something <laughs> they love <laughs> they love these light bulbs these aliens yeah i guess i i, I I couldn't make a lot of sense about the story, but yeah, and then you have to shoot down the UFO of the aliens and uh, to to progress. It's a it's a pretty silly game, and it definitely has some of those that homebrew jank you often see in homebrew games, where you sometimes, for example, hit detection is not hundred percent. So sometimes you think, oh, why am I, I that? Did I touch that enemy? I didn't feel like that or something, but. Most of the time, it's it's just a good time. Ah, oh, great! It sounds hilarious, and I think it's pretty original idea. I haven't seen a game like that. that well, uh, for example, in in Zelda Two or in Hollow Knight or something, you have parts in the Metroidvania parts where you have to find a light source of some sort at first to continue. But there's a lot, also a lot of speedrunners or uh, guys like that who just memorize the the layouts of those uh, sections and uh, go through that part of the game without getting that upgrade it felt a bit like that mechanic but but this is a whole game then th yeah this is just the whole game and the funny thing is when you buy this game uh, physically 
the the cartridge will light up when you use your light in your game. Right. That's pretty cool. That's a very 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 original idea. Love that. Sounds like they thought about lots of details anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's a funny, really funny small game which is really fitting for the for the handheld, I think. Is it free? Uh, uh, I think How much does it not. cost and no, where, where can we find it? It's four dollars, so it's not much. It's on itcha.io. It's it's by Scrap Clan Games. <laughs> the music was also pretty interesting. There's like um, most of the music existed. Most of those beats you have on, on the Game Boy game, you have like the beats which are more like yeah yeah. I know what you sounds, mean. I like, know what you mean. And it, it's and it's pretty interesting that this music almost only exists of those crashing sounds, which is something I never heard before. It's also a bit like your Game Boy is farting all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Can can we relate this to, let's say, you know, on the Commodore 64, they use some glitches on the SID chip to emulate uh, drum beats and stuff. Is it kind of the same thing, though, what you're saying? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I personally would recommend it, but with one minor thing, hey, there well, is here yeah. Go. Here we go. There is <laughs> there is no safe system, no password system oh, in this game. Oh, okay. So, so you have to play the whole game uh, through in one go, and it's not a super short game. And also, oh, but that's good. That means your it's uh, you know your money is is. It's sure, worth, worth it in game time. Sure, but it gets a little bit old to get through those first levels all the time. So mm, I know what you mean. A password system maybe would have helped or something like that. There is, when you finish the game, there is a, a key combination where which unlocks uh, level select. Oh, right. And honestly, I would just f- find out that level select and just use that as a sort of password slash safe system so you can continue on where you left off or use safe states right yeah yeah, uh, yeah. which what which is what i did because when you play this for 15 minutes then i was not compelled to play it all the way through in one go i i, I just after 50 minutes i thought oh okay yeah, let's do something else and it was fun for short sessions but for me it wasn't that i thought oh i have to go through all the game in one go. What about replayability? What do you think about that? Would you go back to it again? I think it's really fun to try and speed run it or something. Mm. Because if you, it takes a lot of time to wait until your light is charged again. Aye, aye. And you have to, they have to, then you can see what, what, where the platforms are. But if you memorize the levels good enough, then you don't have to use that ability a lot. And then you can go through those levels a lot faster. And I think that's a really cool thing to, as a speedrun game, that you just go completely blind through that game and uh, jump around and try to beat it without waiting all the time for your light to charge. Yeah. So I think there, that's where the replayability will be. Yeah, I think by listening to you, I would be very frustrated of uh, keep falling off the platform or maybe running into enemies that then... I die. I don't know. It just, uh, it, it sounds very, very innovative, but maybe 
I haven't played it, so maybe it isn't as frustrating as it sounds, but maybe you can tell me more about that. Just uh... I think it can be frustrating if you let it frustrate you. But <laughs> well, well, there, it's not, the, the levels are short and it's not that you have limited lives. So when you die, you just start over. Oh, okay. So you, you have unlimited lives. That's cool. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So so you, you just start over the level and then you memorize more of the level. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it gets easier. So I think it's not, yeah, maybe if you're frustrated to do a couple of sections over and over and over, then maybe you get frustrated about it. But no, no, I, think, I don't um, think that's the case. I think he, I think from what you explained, I thought you were just falling down in something. You, so you miss the ledge for, for jumping and then you fall down and then you just die and it's like, oh, and then you do it again. But if they've got unlimited lives, I think that, that dampens a bit to the frustration. So I, I, I yeah, kind of, yeah. And you also barely uh, die because of falling down from a platform because... It's just, you just go one level down. There's not spikes under, under there or something. There is, there, is some, there is some of those spikes hazards, but uh, they usually uh, not that bad. They're just like once or twice in a level or something, just to get it a little bit mixed up. But yeah, it gets pretty challenging at the end. But if you figure out that the B button is actually running, then it gets a lot, of e a lot easier because you get better distance with, uh, with, the with the jumping. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Oh, well, sounds like a little cool game. So definitely going to check that one out. Um, I think uh, let's move over to Diego. What have you been doing? Oh, I've been uh, focusing on fulfilling an old plan of mine. <laughs> but not that old, but uh, since last summer when we reviewed the abduction of Oscar Z for the Amstrad CPC, I had in mind that I really had to reevaluate the strengths of that system, because um, I, I always had this very bad idea about the Amstrad CPC. Uh, to make the story short, uh, I think this had to do with my very first home computer. Andy, you remember it very well. I was like eight or nine and I got my Commodore 64. First home computer yeah. ever. But yeah. for a certain number Samantha of- Fox. Sorry. Go Samantha Fox. Oh, sorry. I remember okay. that. <laughs> and, um, but for a series of circumstances, I ended up with a green screen monitor. Oh, yes, yes. I thought the Commodore 64 was monochrome. I, that was so funny. Mm -hmm. I thought, this computer is really garbage, just green colors. Yeah, it was mainly because my parents were convinced by the shopkeepers to get this in order to, like, protect the sight of your kid if he's going to use this computer for a long time. And to, to make it worse, because these monitors were meant for office use, uh, it didn't even have audio. So for a while, I had the Commodore 64 with its legendary seed audio chip, and I wasn't hearing anything out of it. And then obviously I moved on, and after a few years I got a, also a Commodore Amiga, so I went past 16 bit yeah, past behind the 8 bit and i got used to that and then um, a friend of mine who never had a home computer before and sometimes were playing at our place and so the amiga and the 64 decided to get one of his own but uh, his dad didn't know anything about computers so basically bought the cheapest one at the shop and it was an amstrad cpc and it came guess what with a green screen monitor. Oh. 
So when I saw that, I thought, no way. This is like going back to like the caves. Uh, this the this caves. sucks big time. And Green because caves. of that experience, I always had a very negative opinion on Amstrad CPC, but it was not really the correct opinion. And when we reviewed the abduction of Oscar Z, it's not even my type of game, really. It was a runner type of game. But I really realized that it had very good potential. So I, I had sworn to myself that I had to delve deep into the world of Amstrad CPC. And I did it by taking a look at the latest CPC competition that they have annually on this Amstrad CPC fun community website. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've seen that they have some, they have done some demos of some games. Now, I, I wasn't prepared for this, so I do not remember them at the top of my head. There's a Batman demo, and I think there's a, um, a car race demo made for the uh, CPC, I think, 464. And it has been raved about because they supposedly making it and it looks like an arcade machine game it's so good so it definitely as you said has some really hidden potential it looks like it's got a lot of capabilities that people weren't tapping into back in the days so yeah but is the cpc is just that green screen or does it output color? yes it does. <laughs> there you it go. does it was just the case that this friend of mine at that um, time, okay. got also into the wrong type of screen. Green computers. But somehow, <laughs> well, it, I also remember that it came with lots of tapes with more than 100 games, but they were very low budget games and all of them were pretty bad. So that all contributed to forming a negative opinion of mine, but it was not really warranted. It, I think it, it was just wrong opinion for so long. And now... Um, I'm starting to to get more into it. And by the way, if you guys don't know, uh, the website is called cpcretrodev.byterealms.com. And they do this competition yearly. It's more like to encourage people to learn to design games and program for this Commodore C, uh, sorry, Amstrad CPC. So, I didn't try them all. They are almost 40 games this year, but uh, some of them are very basic, but you need to keep in mind, many of these programmers are just starting out learning how to program for this system. So let's not judge them negatively. But- I have a question. Sure. I have a question. Uh, the, I, I just doomed in my head, not doomed, it just came to my head. Um, I think the, the CPC has more colors on the screen than the Commodore 64, is that right? Well, I should check that, but I think it looks like okay. it does because they're very colorful mm. games sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And, and do they have, um, when they, with this competition, do they have certain frameworks to work with or is it just all uh, assembly code or what? in what is it made? I think that uh, the only framework is probably just a deadline, but anything goes, at least judging from the kind of games that they they are developing, they are very diverse. There is no particular rule, but uh, well, I'm not sure about that. They also have prizes, by the way. So, what kind of prizes? Do you know? Monetary prizes. A few. Ah, um, okay, money. I, yeah, I think. Uh, a green screen. <laughs> yeah, I think a few hundreds. 
for the best game and for the few games that top the rank, the final chart. So they are voting for this. And I think they're, I'm not sure if it's like public vote or if there is a special uh, committee. I think there is actually, but um, there's some sponsors that also give their own prizes. Well, I didn't really investigate the details. I just wanted to try the game and see what they came up with. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, okay. I didn't have the chance to try them all anyway. Maybe half of them. But so I decided to have three picks. But I must okay. warn you that this is me, my favorite uh, types of games, ancient, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Right. Ancient, so ancient I didn't Pong, care that like... much for the most good looking games, even though I think these are fine. They are enough good looking for me. But uh, there were some games that were a little bit over the top with the graphics some that looked almost like 3D or had some sort of 3D effect, some that were in isometric, very colorful, but I didn't really care about the technical aspects. I care about the fun. But then I also keep in mind, I have my own concept of fun. And these three yes. games I picked, there are definitely games that will mess up your mind when you play them. So they are challenging. They are all very simple, as a matter of fact, simple mechanics. But after the first few levels, they challenge your mind in a way. You have to kind of get into the zone to play this game. Like your brain is wired to the mechanic of the game. And then you start uh, being very, very aware of what happens in the game and probably unaware of the rest of the world. But uh, let's go to my picks. I think that the absolute favorite for me is a game called Farming Spirits by Truncado Studios. In Spanish. Probably. It got, truncado, about, truncado. it got about 10 plays or something like that. and But it won some uh, best novel game prize. And uh, this is a game that uh, felt to me a little bit like the old Nintendo Game & Watch for some reason. So the story is something like your little wizard or mage that has to shoot or disable these let's say monsters elemental monsters and you're on the right side of the screen while on the rest of the screen there's these cues or lines and every now and then a monster pops up and starts walking one step at a time through this line trying to get to reach you you have i think uh, three hearts representing your your own life so if you get reached by three monsters, then it's game over. And each monster has a small number of colored dots on top of his head. These dots represent their energy and energy type, like red for fire, blue for ice. And you can shoot spells to kill these monsters. You have to pick the right spell. And controls are really simple. Up and down to move up and down to a different line left and right to pick the right spell color and fire to shoot. Okay. First levels, very easy. I think it even starts with just one line and just one possible spell. So that's just for learning a little bit. But after seven, eight levels, that gets really difficult. So mainly because to kill a monster, you don't need 
only one spell. Some monsters might have two red dots followed by one blue dot. So you need to shoot them in order with two fire spells and one ice spell. If you make a mistake and shoot them with the wrong spell, you actually add one more dot of that color. So it becomes more difficult. And then some monsters also shoot you back. And besides not wanting to get hit, if uh, your spell and their bullet collide, well, they just cancel each other. So when you are after the first levels, it's really hard because your mind starts to think, all right, there's a two red dots monster on the first line and a three blue monster on the second line. So I'm going up, red, red, middle, blue, blue. And you start thinking in these terms, but if you hit a bullet, it completely messes up what you have in your mind as your order of things you need to shoot. And then you have to go back quickly and uh, repair your, your streak, so to speak. It, it almost sounds like a puzzle game then. It's, it's, it almost sounds maybe like a uh, uh, horizontal clacks or something. And do you know the clacks, the game where the, with the falling bricks on Atari? Um, uh, right, well, that game didn't, doesn't come to my mind right now, but I might know it. And uh, yes, but it is puzzling in the sense that you have to think quickly. And you I have think to it's move. reflexes. It's reflexes Refle and uh, lots of reflexes. Reflexes and uh, a little bit of puzzle thinking, in a sense. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very hard. I've seen some some gameplay, and it's just really too much. I mean, my brain is not wired for that anymore, so I would not be able to get past level two. I'm sure Pix will do a brilliant job of this and finish it in five minutes, as <laughs> as they <laughs> mentioned. He is the master yeah. of those games. Yeah, but yeah, it looks very, very hard for me. Um, yeah, I, I encourage you to try anyway. As I said, all these three peaks of mine, you need to get into the zone to play them. Once you you kind of lock onto the mechanic, they, they are very nice and they are almost exhilarating in a sense. Yeah. Maybe you also get the rhythm down, so it's maybe almost like a rhythm game that you have to, like Guitar Hero <laughs> or something. You also have the color bars where you have to press the buttons at the I right think you're time right you know I think you're right I think that's uh that's a good comparison I think yeah it would be the same kind of uh, yeah all right good then there's another is called druid and droid by oh Airsoft. yeah I think this is the one that got highest in the ranking like fifth place or something like that backstory is uh, something like a druid being uh, sent back in time many thousands of years in the past to meet a uh, draw no sorry <laughs> a droid getting sent back to the past thousand of years to meet a druid for some reason like saving the world from some disaster all right again mechanic is very simple the druid must collect mushrooms that are flying across the screen left to right or right to left up down or something like that the droid must collect minerals doing the same thing and vice versa, if a druid collects a mineral, he loses a life. And if the druid collects a mushroom, he loses a life. So they need to avoid them. But the catch is, this is not a two-player game. This is a strictly one-player game. You control the druid with the joystick, and you control the droid 
with the joystick if you keep the button pressed. That is the messy thing because uh, obviously while you are controlling one, you can't move the other, but there are still flying objects around that you need to avoid. So you're leaving one in one place, hoping it's safe for a while and moving the other, and you have to switch back and forth just by pressing down and then releasing the pressure. It's very easy to uh, make a mistake there, <laughs> move the wrong one. Yeah. So once you add soon platforms and ladders, and there are even some little monsters around and obstacles you have to walk around, that gets very difficult. Even though the mechanic is like super simple in a sense, but I, I loved it and uh, I struggled to get past level uh, 12 or so. So I think it's a, it's a pretty good challenge as well. Again, another reflex, it's, it's similar to the other one. Um, when I saw it, I just thought oh, you need to be ready with a reflex and understand at a, at a glance what's happening and be really familiar with the mechanics of, of releasing the button or pressing the button really quickly in order to be able to switch the character and go and fetch a relevant piece of flying um, debris, mushroom or whatever mineral that is. And yeah, again, I, I will struggle to get past level two on something like this probably, but good, good on you that you got up to level 12. But are there enough safe spots to put your character down or is it always dangerous and you have to watch it all the time? It is. There aren't safe spots in the general sense. There are only uh, locations that at the moment seem safe because I think okay. that uh, the exact place where these mushrooms or minerals are popping up is random or at least it looked random to me. Maybe there is a pattern there. It could be. and uh, But they could eventually be flying anywhere. I must say they are not very fast, but they don't need to be fast to make the game challenging. It's already very challenging at that fairly low speed. Uh, and you have a timer, don't you, as well? Yeah, there's a time limit to, to finish the level, and every level has a certain number of items that needs to be caught to finish it and each of the two character has i think also three hearts of energy so there are some power-ups every now and then that can recharge your life so there yeah there is a timer it, so it looks like a single screen arcade game of some sort or does it scroll? yeah, yeah right single, that's a good yeah. screen yeah it looks like a, an old arcade game in fact now you mention it yeah. yeah something like donkey kong or something like yeah, that yeah yeah you're right you're right okay I finish up with my third pick. This is um, a different kind, but still very challenging mentally. This is called Geometry Escape by Triple Fail. And it went very low in the ranking, like 30 plays. <laughs> and that's why we're talking about it. Low games, we love them. But I uh, honestly, personally, I love finding a game that is looks like underrated and then finding some redeeming values in it. And I think this is a lot of fun, but it's it's really hard. It's, a, again, super simple mechanics. You're like uh, an escapee from a prison that has to reach the end of the level, which is just a, a small screen with uh, bricks around. Think of it as a diminutive labyrinth, but the problem is not knowing the way. It's very easy to figure out the path to the exit. But on this screen, there are many policemen 
moving around. They are not chasing you. They're moving back and forth or around some pattern. And I think the game name Geometry Escape comes from the fact that the sprites are square, but I, I find them very funny. They are they clearly look like uh, someone with a prison pyjama and a squashed the, policeman. the policeman. They look really look like policemen, but they are squared. I wonder if squared and squashed. I wonder if uh, maybe the that was a clever way for the programmer to make it easier to implement the collision detection, perhaps because <laughs> maybe. Oh yeah, or maybe this is just a sprite on the CPC that you don't have to use additional sprites mm -hmm. to make a whole mm -hmm. character. Yeah, you just change the colors. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. But it looks funny and uh, it gives the name to the to the game. Jump it's very Spartan, game. like graphically, isn't it? Yeah, very simple. Kind of somehow reminded me of Vic Twenty for some reason. But huh. um, anyway, the the strength of the game is that this one is really fast. You are fast, and the enemies are fast. A good thing that they always move in a predictable pattern. But uh, it's soon enough, almost immediately, very hard to beat these levels. You have eight chances at every level, eight lives, and they reset after every level because clearly the designer understood the difficulty here. But still, I couldn't even probably get to level 10 in this case. It's it's super fast. And you have, in this case, there are safe spots. You probably have to look for them before you jump into running through the, the enemies. Look around and see where you can take a break from this quick rush because it's really difficult and uh, you have to be quite precise with the with the joystick is there any inertia no no it's um very very much without any inertia very instantaneous oh, okay. so that's not part of the challenge but in some case there might be for instance a policeman following a certain path and you kind of have to follow the policeman along that path to get to them like hmm. and then it's almost like a sneaking way. game yeah yeah sort of that's a good a good mechanic. way to describe it a sneaking mechanic. sort of super basic metal gear solid yeah 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 it's, it's yeah, really basic respect, it's really yeah. basic but as i said i i love these three games because they are basic in the mechanic but it turned out to be fun and i can totally see playing these like uh with friends like in a party taking turns and just laughing at each other's failures because you're going to fail a lot in these games. And uh, I love when some programmer manages to turn one simple idea into very practical fun. So these were my picks, despite the fact that they didn't fare that well in the ranking and uh, they didn't have the best graphics of all. Uh, I saw some pretty good ones, but they, they seem maybe even too complex for me to figure out. And uh, th these are my recommendations. Yeah. Yeah. Th this is also what appealed to me with the Pico 8 games. It's just one basic idea most of the time and uh, worked out. And if it works for you, then it's great. If it doesn't work for you, you just go play something else. That's yeah, that that that's always cool with these uh, kind of yeah small 
yeah, indie games actually. I think indie games, uh, modern indie games have the same uh, appeal that they most of the time have one mechanic which they deepen all the time and not change a lot uh, on the way. And uh, if you like that mechanic, you will like the whole game. Uh, but if you don't like it, then you maybe should play something else. <laughs> yeah, personally, I don't tend to play these sort of games because they don't have any new modern game design stuff or quality of life improvements. Of course, they can be fun, as we've seen with Cheesy Trials and Rat Catcher. But uh, yeah, you have to keep the playability really, really strong and frustration at bay. And with these particular ones, it doesn't seem that way. It's for me, for a fans only kind of genre and that like a really, really tough challenge and keeping focus for ages. Yeah, well, maybe it's also partly because uh, there's a sort of concentration you need to have, They're like the focus you need to have. And uh, it's, sometimes it's really hard to get into there, but if I'm in there then it, yeah then it's also really hard to get out yeah, yeah so yeah, uh, and then you then you're in the flow like the tetris effect if you play a lot of tetris that you're really into that game and suddenly everything clicks and works but if you're just observing it from a distance then it's maybe not as fun as as other games could be okay what about your gaming andy so I've been playing three games. One is called Trophy, and it's very recently been released for the Switch. It has been out, I think, for the NES. So that's why I'm talking about it in in a very brief space. It's basically, they call it a homage to Mega Man, and it's a sort of platform shooter. So I've, I've literally just dipped my toes into this one. I haven't played it as long as I would like to have played it yet. All I can say at this point is that it's a really faithful representation of what uh, an 80s platformer used to be. And yeah, the graphics are good and straightforward. And the music works really well. Uh, the platforming is solid. And there's quite a lot of enemies and variety. Some of them are more annoying than others, obviously, uh, as you'd expect. Uh, but Which is good, you know. Um, the first impression is it's a game for really fans of the genre. But... Um, I can't say too much more because I've not played it yet as much as I would have liked to have played it. But that's the general impression that I've got. Okay. You know, all aspects of those old platforms is there, um, like the scrolling waits till you get to the edge of the screen, the colors come in. It that gives you that really, really nostalgic uh, feeling like it was, uh, you know, uh, really an old game. And, you know, the, I think it works really well under yeah, that aspect. Yeah, you, Have you reached any boss battle? No, no. I just literally dipped my toes in it and had a go at it. And I must admit, I was quite um, engaged. It's a bit like you said, like you, you get into the zone and then you start appreciating the game. In fact, I imagine that this is where the great appeal of it comes out for nostalgic people. So when I was just asking because if it's the game, I think it is, uh, they've been pitching it for uh, being very much... Uh, retro-looking game, and uh, but with uh, giant bosses at the end of every level. So I was wondering uh, how that played out also from playability point of view. But It, it, it sounds a bit like a lost game. It's a sort of game which is lost uh, in the 80s and then uh, suddenly found... Yes, a that's a very good way of putting it. In fact, that's exactly the feel. Like uh, when, I, when I saw it and I played it, I thought, oh, this looks and feels really old. 
I think it's a pro in that respect. And do you have save states for on the on the Switch, or is it? I don't think I've messed enough around with it. I literally played about ten minutes, so that's all I have. So it's well because th that can help a lot with difficulty. Yes, just totally. Safe scum it. Totally. It's got a nice intro, and it's a very interesting story as well. Very cool. So that's one of them that I I spent a little bit of time on. Then I had a, a go at a game called Rogue Sixty Four. So. This is made... Oh, great. Yes, I knew, I knew you would say that. Rogue 64 is uh, made by Bitmap Soft and a guy that goes by the handle of Bag of Hats on Twitter. I don't remember his name. And they are making a game called Roguecraft for Amiga and that looked absolutely phenomenal for me and that's really something I want to play, but it's not out yet. So I noticed they made uh, Rogue 64 for the Commodore 64. And I thought, well, it's $5 and have a play at that. And this game is, for me, really addictive and fun in its simplicity. I'll just describe it really briefly. So you basically have to get out of, in fact, you have to get further in the depth of the dungeons and probably beat a monster, the final boss. To do so, you have to find a key to a door in each level. And each level is like a little map that you have to explore. Once you found the key, you go to the door, open it, and go to the level down. And you keep going down and down and down, I think. That's the, the idea. And you, at the end, probably find this mega boss. Now, your life is made difficult because there are little monsters around. I think there's five different, different types of monsters, but I might be wrong. Not, not many. And they tend to follow you. So this is kind of turn-based. So as soon as you move, they move. As soon as you move, they move. And you have to get through this intricate map and you can battle these monsters. To battle these monsters, you need to be on the adjacent tile and then you push towards them to land a hit or miss if you're unlucky. You hit them and they have a go at hitting you. And sometimes you miss and sometimes they miss. I think there's a lot of RNG. And you have some stats as well. So you have health, you have strength, and then you have a bunch of potions and items that you can find, which I think is really good. So when you're going through this procedurally generated map, then you can find these items and they go into your inventory. And with one button, basically, you hold that button down at any point when it's your turn and the, these items start flashing and then you can just move over to the one that you want to use and release. And the funny part of it is that the potions have, they're always the same color, but every time you restart the game, they have a different effect. They basically have a set of effects and then every time they're randomized and associated to a different color potion. And you can use them and some of them are hilarious. One, for example, makes you drunk. So you, you kind of try and move up and it goes down and move up again and it goes left. Oh no, I hate that. I hate reverse <laughs> controls. <laughs> it's not reverse, it's just random. It goes oh, in random. Oh, wow. even worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you don't know what it does until you try it. Um, that adds a, an interesting spin to the mechanic. And then you kill these monsters. You, you can also skip them and, you know, if you can, uh, if they don't reach you in time. And you can just try and, and reach uh, the key and then go to the to the hidden door. So to it really sounds like a really traditional rogue game. Yes, it, I think it is. I think it is. But it's so simple in the mechanics that you're quickly drawn into it. And it, because it's not like, uh, how do you say, re reflex-based, 
then I think I enjoy it a lot because, you know, I can press a key and then just wait five minutes and then, so, oh, hang on. It's just strategy. Well, yeah, I don't know how much strategy there is, but it's, um, you can take your time, yeah, to think, you know, I can do this route and he won't be able to reach me. You kind of learn the patterns on which the enemy is following you. And then you can start thinking, oh, I've got this wall. He won't come around. He waits for me to go up or down, then he'll follow me. It's easier to, to see in action rather than to explain. But yeah, it's a very simple mechanic game. Uh, I found it very addictive and and fun, really. I think I reached level three. The first level is called the noob level. And then it's, I think, uh, not so noob level or something. And the third one is like it stings. But it gets hard really quickly and the enemies get really strong uh, as you go down. So as you kill the enemies as well, they spawn sometimes a diamond and the diamond is in a color. So you have the, your bars and it's a... The strength is green and your, sorry, the strength is purple and your health is green. If it spawns a diamond that's of the color of one of these, it will increment, for example, your health, your maximum health or your maximum strength. And that's what you want to be doing because the further you go in, you need more strength to be able to kill the enemies quicker. So that's a sort of RPG element. Yeah. And it's very basic, but I love it that it's very basic and it's very simple and just it just works, you know, you just get it, you don't have any anything to think about, it just goes, it goes up one level of strength or one level of maximum health, and then you just move on and, and, and keep going, and that probably changes a bit the RNG of how the battles pan out. And then the further you get on, obviously the enemies will take uh, a chunk of your energy out that's bigger, so in the beginning maybe they hit you and they take one health. Then you go further down the dungeon and you find different type of enemies that if they hit you, they take away two, two bars of your health mm. and so on and so forth. Um, but there is an end to it. Uh, I haven't reached the end. I haven't reached the end. So I do not know uh, if there is an end to it. Um, they say there's a final boss, so there must be. <laughs> yeah. The music is really good. I really love the music. Obviously, I, like, I love Sid music as well. In fact, I think there's a guy on Spotify that does music with a Sid called Luke Hash, I think, and I like his music. Mm. Yeah, um, I had a lot of fun with this game, and I think I'm planning to play it again, and I want to try and reach the end of it. There's no cheats, there's nothing you can do, you know, um, I think that, that can help you more. You just have to be good and lucky, I think, to kill the, all the monsters, get as many power-ups as you can, and that's the only way I, I can think of you to be able to reach the end. And how long does it take you one play session? Depends, because you can leave it there. <laughs> if you play continuously, again, uh, I think one play session for me is about 10 minutes or something, or maybe 10, oh, 15 minutes, but I've only got cool. to level three, you know. I like also exploring all the procedurally generated map every time so I can find all the treasures because there are some places you can pick up chests of gold, which I was hoping it would have had like a shop or something at the end that I could buy some extra gear. That would have been amazing for me because I love that sort of stuff. But it, instead, I think it just increases your high score. So the more gold you find, it just gives you more points. Well, I think already the the idea that you don't know what the potions do before you actually try them and uh, but then after you try them you can figure out the the color pattern for that particular instance of the game if i understand right yeah that's right uh, i think that's brilliant and i've seen it before in other games when i think it 
it it's part of the fun really but as you said if there were also shops then it would be even better but already already like it is i think that's one game that i would have a lot of fun of haven't tried but i've seen it seen it played by others and i really would like to try it myself yeah sounds fun yeah i think i i'm really looking forward and hoping that the amiga version of this roguecraft uh, is going to be enhanced and not just uh, a better looking game with the same mechanics so i'm really hoping that's the case because if that's the case then i i definitely need to get an uh, 1200 and you get 1200 because i think it will only work on an aga machine so yeah really looking forward for that and and lots of kudos to bitmap soft and bag of hats really really lovely game uh, and very simple mechanics again very addictive um i've also been playing in more depth pio pow uh, I've talked about it in the previous episode uh, as I, I just dipped my my toes in that. But I have put some hours in it. So my friend came around yesterday and we had a game at it together to test it. And I discovered loads of things. I think it's a really amazing game. Uh, and I'm going, yeah, I'm going a bit... Quite similar as the Rogue 64, maybe. In a way, you're right. It's exactly that. So it's, it's similar mechanics. So you, you press in the direction of the adjacent enemy to attack it. Otherwise, you move. And the idea behind it, again, is very simple. So you have a level. In each level, you have to find a key and get out. The level is a single screen. So you're, you're inside a, like a screen with walls and stuff. I, I think those are all procedurally generated as well. And someone's got the key. Some monster has got the key in the, in the level. And you have to find out which monster has it. It might be a monster. It might be a bomb. So this game is a bit of a what's it called bomberman it's not a clone of bomberman at all it's, it's i think it's a bit different but in some respect it, 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 it borrows some mechanics of bomberman yeah i think so um i mean i can talk a lot in depth of this now but i don't know how how much i should go in depth but in reality yeah you can move around quite freely and there are these bombs that are deactivated on the screen and you can go near them tap them once so move it against them once and then they activate and they, some of them will follow you some of them won't follow you and then if you tap them again they'll go one further step towards exploding and if you don't tap them they have like a timer so every so many moves then they will start exploding anyways even if you don't touch them there's a, a load of different enemies on the screen and, and naturally you have to find out which one has the key try to grab the key and then escape <clears throat> So the bombs are the way to attack those enemies? So you can attack them with the bombs, which is a smarter way, but sometimes it proves really difficult. Or you can tap against them and you damage them, but then they'll try and attack you in the same way that Roadcraft works. So they, they will have their turn as well. So it's a basically, it's a turn-based game. It's very, very like, very much like Rogue 64. So you, you make a move and the enemies immediately make another move. It's a, a really challenging game, and there are lots of things hidden. Um, but let, let's get back to the mechanics. So in the level, uh, so you have to find this key, and you can find it by running around and killing these monsters, whether you kill them with the bombs, it's one thing, or where you, whether you tap against them. The monsters are different. There are different kinds of them. There's the flies that kind of follow you. There are enemies that go around in a pattern, but if you touch them, they will start following you and change aspect. There's other, let's say, big fly generators, so like B 
beaker monsters that plop around and they generate these flies that then start following you and it becomes really difficult at a certain point. So those are the ones that you would target first, maybe, if you can. Sometimes you're really lucky and you find the key immediately and you bump into a monster and then you can get the key and run away. But here's another funny fact that I found really interesting playing it. If you find a key and you don't grab it any immediately, let's say, and a monster goes over it, he takes it. So then he can yeah. run away with it and, and you maybe can't distinguish which one it is anymore. So the game tries to help you here and it it has some uh, treasure chests in most levels. And if you tap those, if you get near them and tap them, they will release a treasure. And sometimes it's an extra bomb that you can drop and activate. Sometimes it's a small bomb, which is a different kind of weapon that you can throw. Let's say to, in, in a turn, you can send it towards a, an enemy. Or it is the ability to freeze time. So you freeze the time and all the monsters stop. And then you can just go around and hit them and you won't get any hits in return because this time is frozen. Or you can just escape without being followed. And then there's another very, very good thing is you have an eye kind of uh, item that you can activate. So these items, you can have up to three and they stand on your right hand side. And, the, and this eye one in particular shows you who's got the key. So you can find out immediately who's got the key and go and, and try and, and kill that enemy with the hopes that then no one else picks it up. So all these interesting mechanics um, make it for a really, really fun game. And let's say the levels are, are very streamlined. So there's like a, a little map at the top that, that gives you an indication of how much you have left. And you have a bunch of levels until then you get to a swimming pool. So it's like it's not a swimming pool as such. It looks like more like an onsen, which is like a hot spring. Hot spring. That's right. At the end of each uh, set of levels, and then you can go in this hot spring and bath around. And the more you bath around, moving obviously with your with your character, the more energy you can recover before entering the new level. You can't recover the whole energy, but you recover some of it. Sometimes it's enough. Sometimes it's not. And then you move on to the next level. And the more you advance, uh, the more secrets uh, you, you, you kind of uncover. And let's say you can use the bombs as well to blast the walls. It happens naturally. So you maybe activate a bomb near a wall and it just destroys. And, but you can't really move out of the level if it's on the border, for example. But sometimes this allows you to discover some secret passage. And maybe there's a secret passage that then you go into similar to the little hatch that you go out to where you've got a key. So there's another one and you go into that and you skip some levels and you get out further on. And sometimes you go into this hatch and it's basically a shortcut to the beginning. So oh. when you actually oh. get kicked out, if you die, then you can restart from there, but you have to discover it. There's lots of stuff like okay. this and that makes it absolutely a lovely game. And I think this is going to be a really good hit you know when it when it actually comes out it, it sounds like a good game club game as well so where you can talk about all the hidden stuff yeah in the game and all the discoveries you found and uh, it sounds really exciting because it's also so random all the time and all and sounds really chaotic as well yeah it, it a, is it is it is uh some monsters you know sp spawn bombs and throws them throw them at you but you can throw them back for example uh it's just like full of these little touches that are really amazing also i discovered that in, in the title screen you can choose and this is why i think i understand now you can choose peel or pow okay which are two different characters i think that's my understanding 
you can choose a smaller version of the of the little cheek or the big version. The big version is, let's say, the hard level, and the little the little one is the easier level. And what mm. happens to help you is when you've got the little the little uh, cheek, so pure, I'm guessing. At the beginning of the game, you there's a character that pops out and gives you immediately before starting anything. It gives you like a little weapon or a little item to activate, not a weapon, a little item to activate that you can stack on the right-hand side. So at any point when you've got these three items, you can navigate through them. Uh, I think we're using select, I think. I don't remember now. But then you can activate them in the game. You can have up to three. Uh, so I got pretty far yesterday with my friend and we actually, I think, reached the final boss. There's also, I want to mention this because I've, I forgot to, to mention it previously. You have a set number of moves before, a bit like Bubble Bubble. So you, in Bubble Bubble, you have a timer. And here the timer is kind of set on the top right corner. And you have a certain amount of moves before the music starts getting more frantic. And then some little enemies, a bit like um, Bubble Bubble, where you have the... Um, whales that, that come out that are indestructible and they follow you and they try to get you here it's the same you get some little enemies i haven't tried battling them but they seem to be coming after you so it makes it even more difficult for you to escape when the timer runs out and the time again it's not a real timer it's based on your moves so basically you've got a set amount of moves before you actually have to get out I think that was uh, a really amazing... Probably uh, to prevent you to go back and forth all the time on one spot yeah, to yeah. sort of uh, cheese the enemies or something. You have to be uh, uh, efficient with your moves. Sounds fun. So the first time I played this, I was like, oh, this is too hard. And uh, I don't know. I, I It looked very polished, which it is. Uh, so I've got a preview build, so it's not out yet. And I think it's going to be released after they release uh, a game on Steam. So they're making a, a Steam game as well called Storyteller. You can look that up. And that, I think, releases in March. So after March, I think uh, Jeremias is going to finish this game off. I really hope it becomes a hit because it is, I think, really good. Really good. So I got to, I think, the final boss. Then after the final boss, there is another couple of levels. And um, I don't know what that contains. It has like a question mark at the end. And I it's haven't... probably a lot of these games, when you beat the final boss, it loops... So, but you get the, like the harder version of the, the world. Mm, I don't know because what so all your progress is mapped in a bar at the top of the level. So you can see all the all the little levels, and then you get X when when it's finished, and then it's like a little treasure map, but it's streamlined in one bar. Every time you reach it, you know uh, the X, you've kind of reached the the onsen, and you and you get recharged, and then you start a new level. But at the end, I think the, there's the boss. I think there's a skull. I'm not too sure about this. I don't remember. Uh, the final one's got something different on it, I think. And then there's an extra two little levels. And then there's this this last bit of the path that's three three steps away. And it's got a question mark. And then maybe after that, it loops. I think there's something special after that. But I don't know. I haven't reached it. Still a lot of uh, cool stuff to explore. Yeah, very, very cool game. I, I'm really looking forward for this to be released. In fact, I would like to make a, a book club episode of this. Yeah, uh, the problem will be that if it's only physical, uh, book club is harder because, for example, a lot of people don't have the hardware or the, it will take time before it arrives. Uh, and I think if it's just a downloadable ROM or buyable ROM, everybody can play 
at, at the spot at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So, That's a double-edged sword, though, because then what people do is they pirate it. And um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. But also, this is a really good game, in my opinion. And um, if they pirate it and they don't, uh, you know, buy it, then... He won't make any more games, which is going to be really sad. <laughs> I guess I have to buy an NES for this. It's really good. It's really good. I, I had a, a lovely time with it, and uh, I, I wasn't expecting it, really. And that's it's like, it's like a puzzle game in some respect. It doesn't have as much strategy to it, but, uh, I mean, you once you understand the patterns of the monsters and you can use the bombs to your advantage... Yeah, you can you can put some thought in it as well, and uh, I think it becomes more challenging. And then I think we spent a bit of time yesterday just trying to explode everything and trying to find everything that was hidden behind the walls. Mm. And I think there's a level later on which is um, with the snow. It's really lovely, and then <laughs> you can actually destroy the snow. So you can destroy the walls as well. You can go against the snow and press, 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 and slowly the snow gets smaller, and you can create paths. But the enemies can do that too. And they can come after you, even if you're in a in a spot. It's just full of all these little polished details that makes me feel that this game is going to be really a really big hit. And I, I mean, I really love it. The, also, how it's designed and drawn, it's uh, really beautiful. And the music, the music is. Um, um, I think it's it's got different music per level. I'm not too sure. It wasn't inobtrusive, so I didn't really recognize it. But I I remember last night when I finished it, I was humming the tune oh that's now that's I always remember. good and it was yeah i think it was really good i think the music also is really good so this jeremias babini you know props to him and i hope it picks up really really well and he does really well with it and makes a sequel because i cannot wait that would be really amazing it's really exciting it's really exciting times yeah i can't wait to play it all right should we take a break and come back later yeah. with the news yeah, I think that's a good point. Let's take a break for now and we'll come back with the news very soon. Toilet break, guys. My life for ire. Before entering a battle with a Zerg, I always listen to New Game or Flame. All the Protoss do, and you should too. My meditation is over. We stand as one. And we're back. It's time for news. My first article is about a, a fish who commits credit card fraud. And uh, it's a pretty insane uh, story. Tell us. But there's apparently a, a Japanese uh, Twitch streamer who has his fish tank set up so uh, his fish can control the game. And uh, 2020, he already had uh, his fish tank complete Pokemon Sapphire in nearly 30 200 hours which normally takes 30 hours does he eat, does the fish eat in that period of time or <laughs> i hope so yeah but there are, there's more multiple fish in the tank and they swim around and if they uh, collide with an arrow on the window or a, a button or a b button they they interact with the game so he set it up for uh not a gba game or what is it, sapphire i think it's a gba game but uh, a Switch game. All right. And that all went wrong because that game is Pokemon, one of Scarlet or Violet. And these games are super, super buggy. So. Oh, they bug out. Oh, I see. Uh, apparently, uh, when, when there's a lot of 
fish pressing buttons, the, the game crashes. And the owner wasn't there when it happened. And the switch rebooted it and went into the home screen. And from there, the fish went to the eShop. And the fish went to the PayPal and uh, bought 500 yens in... Uh, in so uh, stupid. <laughs> so stupid. In uh, uh, eShop credit. And also, he changed the avatar and they changed... <laughs> Turned the, it to a fish. <laughs> yeah, they changed the, the account name from... Uh, Miteku Maru to Rowawawawawa. That sounds perfectly plausible. Oh my God. But the fun thing is that there's a the video online uh, as well of all this, uh, what, what's happening. And the fish you see there, they are reading the, the agreement of upgrading the, the PayPal. <laughs> I'm just thinking about it. Should we do that? Yeah, yeah. it t- t- takes a while. And then they scroll down and then they press A and buy 500 yen in eShop fees. So, and the fish did all this on purpose. <laughs> yeah, sure. He was trying so, to buy a fishing game. No, they, they downloaded a, a Nintendo 64 emulator as well. So oh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they apparently cool. wanted to play a Nintendo 64 instead. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, guys, I, I think we are there then. To the rise of the artificial intelligence. <laughs> what is someone doing with these fish? What, what, what's, the, what's the point? Just I, I just don't, don't understand really. What's the point? Just yeah, just uh, find out if they the fish can win Pokemon without uh, any human interaction, which is an interesting uh, experiment, I guess. Um, and, uh, I don't know apparently, they they can do it, uh, but not this version. And the fun thing is, the owner of the fish uh, wrote an email to Nintendo <laughs> with the question like, "My fish bought five hundred yen uh, in uh, eShop fees. Can I get it back?" And apparently, <laughs> which I don't know, but it makes the, the story super implausible, but whatever. The Nintendo uh, gave him this, his 500 yen back. So so now everyone can go back to Nintendo and say, oh, my fish has bought this by mistake. Can you give me 500 yen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he has, he has the stream to prove it. But, uh, and yeah. then they will, they will send an emoji of Nelson uh, from The Simpsons going, aha, <laughs> pointing his finger. <laughs> Water. It's, oh. it's a crazy uh, story, but uh, it ended up with just a story and not some kind of horrendous uh, people who are trashing his bank account. So, I wonder um, if the fish is still alive or it's become sushi or something. <laughs> well, it's Japan, so maybe. Yeah. Oh, only in Japan these things can happen. Well, I don't know. Fish thieves and video gamers. What's next? Uh, well, I don't know. I I, I noticed a, a news, but uh, now that I've heard Widow's news, this is really nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, all right. Okay, well, one small little news that caught my attention was that I um, um, don't know if you are aware of what is the Lisa operating system from Apple. But basically, this Apple Lisa OS was released publicly after 40 years. So this is um, something, a machine by Apple that was developed in the early 80s and released in 83. And it was a like a very expensive computer back then, which predated the Mac by a couple of years. Okay. And I think it costed like 10K, yeah, $10,000, something like that. And um, usually, as as uh, inexpensive as Apple is, as usual, mm, 
but it's not really famous and also i had barely heard about it never seen one personally I think it's named uh, of the the daughter of steve jobs i think might be oh that's an interesting snippet of information there yeah. but anyway one of the very earliest not the absolute earliest but one of the very few early computers which had an actual uh, graphical user interface with mouse and windows similar to macintosh and windows later on but probably too expensive to become famous anyway i think that uh, for the for its 40th anniversary they decided to publicly release the whole code for it and there's of course some license that's non-commercial user but you you can freely download it and take a look at it and build it for yourself for your own studies and i think it's quite um, unexpected for me because i normally i think that apple in particular is very jealous of its own stuff i didn't expect that they would do something like that even if it's 40 years old it's still sort of valuable and uh, i think it has uh, it it's of a historical interest yeah sure uh, and and c can you just compile it for Intel uh, CPUs or how, how does that work? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure how how to build it yet. I've taken a look at, at the code itself. Um, it's quite clear actually. It's very well commented. And uh, it, oh, by the way, it's written in Pascal language. Hey, Pascal. Yeah, I used to very, study that. <clears throat> yeah, me too. In high school, I think. So I don't remember much how to build. A piece of software from scratch with it but when you read it you instantly understand what it's doing although this is a whole operating system with various applications also inside and there is a toolkit development system included I haven't looked at that so perhaps it would have been easier if they also included some general documentation on how to put together the different parts but at first sight it looks like very clean code, very understandable, but uh, I don't know yet how to build it. Like, I think someone has mentioned that they were running it in DOSBox somehow. Pico 8, they could do it in Pico 8. <laughs> so, but I think, uh, well, as a, it could be an interesting exercise. Just yeah. look into it, uh, build it, run it on your own computer and then make modifications and see how, how they work out. And make games for it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And by the way, if you're interested, I think you can find it from the Computer History Museum website. Just Google for it and then it's uh, available, I That's think. download. Okay. Yeah. The only thing I did uh, for this, I did just look up on YouTube and I urge you guys and any listener... Look up Lisa OS and you'll be greeted with the advert for it. And I just spent like three minutes laughing at the advert. I don't know if you've seen it. <laughs> it's a, it's no, a woman. She, she just stands still with this computer and she looks at the camera for about all the, all the duration of the advert. And, and the, the camera pans out and then all this smoke comes in. And she's still looking at the camera and then the smoke goes away. She's still looking at the camera and then it zooms back into her and it's just so funny the, the expression is just like really lifeless I <laughs> it's just so stupid well, what a stupid ad but anyways that that i think is really funny if you want to go and have a look at it just google that on, on youtube and you'll find it 
Yeah, and uh, that 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 should have sold uh, a ten thousand uh, dollar computer uh, with a yeah. woman included. Just looking at you like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe that helps. Yeah, well, uh, for sure. As long as she's just not, not always looking. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty freaky. <laughs> yeah. So do you do you still have news, Andy? Yeah, I've got a couple of things. First of all, I did read. Where did I find this on Polygon? I think that Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster games are coming back to Switch and PS4. So it should be it should be happening this spring. I think there's six games in total. Final Fantasy one, two, three, four, five, six. Obviously, not many, not much, not much imagination with the names there. And they will be just released digitally on Switch and PS4. That's that's a really cool way, probably to finally play these games because i've never played I think, them I fi- no me neither and i think some of these are were japanese only so they should be translated and i hope so yeah the pixel remaster also has some quality of life improvements, improvements okay uh and i think also improved graphics so yeah it's remastered so it probably is. So I think it's, it's a better way to, uh, to to play these games. Uh, the only thing I hear all the time of the Pixel Remaster is that the font is really ugly of all ah, the text. And yeah. uh, on PC, you can just uh, go into the files and uh, swap the uh, the font file for any other font file. That's pretty but, funny. But uh, yeah, for Switch and the PS4, it obviously is a problem. And I think a lot of people will have a problem with it. What I've looked of it, it was just like a regular uh, font, uh, like a, a font of, of your computer, like Helvetica or something. It's really not suited for the game, I think. And all the people just want the regular old Final Fantasy font. And that's, I think, the problem of everyone, which is that it's just looks out of place. Yeah, I wonder if they use the Unicode font, uh, the Asian use Unicode font that, that has the kanjis and the alphabet and the Latin alphabet oh, as well. Yeah, maybe that's that's why why it's so uh, so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, well, it does look. It has a striking, uh, unique look that you can recognize when they use uh, like a Unicode font uh, made for Asian games. You you can definitely see the difference. Hmm. So I, I I hope they modify it for the fans that. You can choose what kind of font you you get, because there was a lot of people complaining about the font. <laughs> but otherwise, I heard only good stuff about this Pixel Remaster. Yes, please do not use Comic Sans <laughs> from a designer. Stuff, yeah. Do not use a. Okay, uh, I think they have redone the the graphics and the soundtrack as well, and if I recall correctly, the UI, and then they've added some other stuff like bestiary and music an illustration gallery or something else so it seems to be a pretty rounded package and uh, there's no indication of the price but i think there was an estimated that the the current bundle they sell it's about 74 dollars or 75 dollars so maybe it's going to be around that price who knows but we'll see i guess is that physical or digitally i think that's digital Uh, i don't think it's physical but i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't know Okay, well, I think it's like 15 euros per game or something. something I think it's uh, now, I don't know. I think it was about $12 for Final Fantasy 1 and 2, but I'm not too sure. I might be. Well, it sounds reasonable because these games are really, really long. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of content for the money if someone's not played them and has maybe just been introduced to the latest installment of the series. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. 
We'll see. I've never played them. I'm, I'm not sure I'm a massive fan. If they have uh, random encounters, probably not. Yeah, they have. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's typical JRPG. So, uh, yeah, But maybe also the, the encounter rate is, is, is tuned down for the remaster. I don't know. I think they, they did improvements uh, like that as well. Because it's really tedious. Uh, the really old ones are really like grind heavy. And a lot yeah. of people don't like that anymore. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that should be a quality of life improvement inside those sort of games. Uh, I don't know how I would mitigate that. Yeah, I've never been a fan of random encounters. Just get in my way. I think that's the main issue I have with any RPG. Otherwise, I might like them. On further notice, I have looked at something called MUVR. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it. And it's a really bizarre way of playing emulators in VR. Is that uh, where also the original NES Zelda is made that it is VR all of a sudden? So you're Link and you can walk around in, in the world of Zelda? Or No, 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 no. This is um, a very, I think it's a, it's a cool idea. I'm not sure how it's going to work though. So basically you have, you have to have a VR set. So I think it's only Oculus Rift, the Index, HTV Vive and some others. And then it's only for Windows. So... You, you have to put this um, VR set on and then you're basically in a room like it was in the 80s with all 80s stuff and a television and then with the different consoles, I'm guessing, in there. I, I don't know exactly. It's in beta now, I think, or it's entering beta. Uh, you have to bring your own ROMs in somehow, your own games, it says. They don't provide any games. You must bring your own, basically. And... I don't know in what format they then read your games, uh, quote, ROMs, and and they somehow put them inside the emulator, inside this VR application, and then you can play them. But not only, they basically also allow you to play via internet with your friends. But the way that works is that you invite some people, and then they actually enter the room, virtual, the virtual room in VR, and play next to you like you used to do back in the day. So sit uh, next to each other and start playing on the NES or the consoles they support, I guess. And uh, it gives you this weird experience that you can, <laughs> you can relive the 80s and the way you used to play the games in the 80s. And I, I think it's... It's it's a cool idea. the The execution of this, uh, I don't know, but I'm here to see that evolve and and see what people think about it. I don't know if you guys are yeah, interested. I, I'm 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 looking at screenshots now. I see CRT TVs with an NES and a Super NES and a GameCube under there and a PlayStation Two. And it seems that you can also have a collection with cartridges in a in a closet yeah. and pick up the cartridges and put it in the consoles and yeah uh, i don't know if i i really want to do this but it looks like a sort of promising nostalgia experience experience or something yeah i don't know how i feel about it what do you think Diego? well it looks like a sort of glorified front end for emulators a little bit uh i just don't know how many People are, may, might already have that kind of room by now, but of course the the net play thing is interesting if your friends are not in, in the same city as you, but far away like we are. So then it might be fun to try out. Yeah, uh, keep in mind it's free. Oh, that's cool. So and, no uh, one's going to pay for. It's also open that. source, or 
I don't think it's so open source, uh, but if anyone wants to support it, they, they've got a Patreon link as well. Uh, so maybe if, you, if you're interested, if anyone's listening is interested to relive the 80s in front of a CRT uh, and no sweaty smell included. So you don't have to smell the other people. <laughs> Only your own smell. Yeah, but you're used to that, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I see uh, light guns are also uh, supported. So you have virtual light guns and you can shoot at the virtual screen. Which could be really cool because that that's not working anymore on modern devices nowadays. So that that's that's a cool alternative, maybe. Yeah, I think they they also have arcades in it, which is quite interesting. I want to see how that renders in the room, if it well, renders like with really? a full cabinet or not. Yeah, I was just thinking that maybe what if they eventually partner up with Endstream or something like that, and then they could recreate an arcade. Oh, that would be awesome. Just a combination, so you have Endstream uh, subscription, and you can just play that in virtual reality as well. If you have um, VR glasses, which I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also um, I, I don't know they they've, they're doing this like a rounded package, so you can also watch telly from the 80s and 90s, like streaming on the telly. I don't know what they can. I don't know how they get the license for that sort of stuff, but don't imagine looking at the A team. I don't know if you had it in uh, in the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so sure. or something like that on the telly, and also you can read magazines as well, which is very bizarre, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. But I, I watched, uh, for example, Twin Peaks on my CRT, which is really nice. How do you do it? In fact, how do you watch something on a CRT? I've got CRT, but I don't know how to hook some stuff up. Uh, like... I have a PlayStation Three still, which is ah. still hookable. Uh, you can hook that up on uh, I've got on CRT, to, yeah. and there's even a Netflix application on. PlayStation 3, which is still working. So you can even watch Netflix on a CRT TV that way. But otherwise, I don't know how to do this. Maybe with a downscaler or something. There's mm. like the CBS control, the but downscaler. You can use that to downscale to CRT, like 240p. But yeah, that's that's a lot of hassle. I'm sure that there are, there's a Raspberry Pi that does this stuff. The old, like the first Raspberry Pis have composite out. But you you can buy uh, an RGB hat for the with a oh, start yeah, right. for the RGB Pi. So yeah. yeah, I'm sure it can do it. I don't know what application there is. I, I'll have to look into this. I'm quite interested in watching old stuff on the on the CRT Night Rider, or all that sort of stuff. It, it really looks great on the CRT. That stuff. Yeah, because yeah. That four by three looks wrong on a modern TV. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. On a lesser note, you can now read all 285 issues of Nintendo Power online. So, someone, by, by username Gumball, has taken the responsibility to uh, upload all the 285 issues of Nintendo Power online. And you can read them. I don't know how much time it must have taken to scan them all and put them in PDFs, but they're all there. 40 gigs and good luck. I, I wonder how long it took to scan them and... I also wonder how long it will take before Nintendo shuts them off. Well, uh, I don't know. If, are they going to... Is it, is it by Nintendo itself or is it by a third party? I think it's from Nintendo themselves. And also there's a lot of maps of the games, a lot of walkthrough and stuff in there. So okay. I, think, I think it's a Nintendo's property. But So guys, if you want to grab it, grab it quickly then. It's on archive.org and the username is Gumball. Uh, G-U-M-B-A-L-L. -L. And I think 
yeah, he put this all together with uh, the help of a Retromax community, I think it's called. And they'd been collecting all this stuff and slowly scanning it. And uh, I don't know, the patience and the uh, <laughs> <laughs> is incredible. Anyways, last piece of news here. There apparently have been found two unreleased NES games that have been brought up on eBay. And someone uh, has found a couple of games, physical format. One is Battlefields of Napoleon. And I don't know how they found this stuff and uh, and where they found it. But yeah, it seems that this stuff is going to go for a lot of money now. The other one is called a CES sample on the on the label. It's an, another NES game. And it's a game apparently made for the Nintendo Power Glove. Is, is, are these for sale? Yes, they are for sale on eBay, apparently. Uh, they might have already gone by now, I guess. I think the guy who found them is called Frank Cifaldi. He's like from a preservation company. I don't know if, he, if he's got them. I think he found them on eBay. Oh, he found them on eBay, but not bought them. No, so, I think he, he tried to raise a pledge from people to raise the money for for him to be able to buy Yeah, them. so he can maybe digitize it as well and uh, distribute it. And uh, make hopefully. it available, yeah. Or or at least put it somewhere in an archive. So, yeah, it's not lost. I think uh, I don't have anything else for news. Don't know if you guys have got anything else. Well, there were some uh, corrections from uh, MT. Oh, the... yeah, but that's from the emails. Oh, let's move on. Let's move on to emails then. Uh, MT on, on our Discord hooked on the story of the email we had last episode. And that was about famous developers which make games for old systems as well. And he said there actually are some uh, famous developers which make games for old systems. And one of them is Yuzu Koshiro, which is famous uh, composer. Uh, composer of, uh, for example, Streets of Rage 2 or... Uh, he, he did a lot of uh, games and uh, he's, he's like a really famous guy and uh, he's making a, a shmup and I don't a very good it. one also let's say it, that it looks it looks amazing it looks, yeah it looks amazing with with for the mega drive yeah uh, I don't see a name for it yet no I think they, they have an experimental name but it's just some uh, like uh, test one or something like that but it's just a test name for now and there's a little, uh, on his uh, uh, Twitter, there's a little preview of 30 seconds showing off the game. And it looks really nice. So uh, hopefully we'll see the, something of that in the future. Yeah. And another f- one was um, uh, Gary Kitchen and David Crane. Do you know these guys? <laughs> I won't say anything. I don't know everyone. I don't oh, know. It, well, Gary Kitchen, he has a lot of games which which has his name on top of it, like Gary Kitchen's uh, Tank Simulator or something. So he, he made a lot of games like that with his name on top of it. And uh, David Crane is from um, A Boy and His Blob, I think. Oh, yeah, but I know that game. I think. but <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. But they made a... a 2600 game which is called Circus Convoy and you can buy that only physical oh I remember that yes yes anyway uh, it's really fun that there there's actually and they seem like there's also a Dan Kitchen making 
uh, maybe that's the son of the Gary Kitchen. I don't know. They all stay in the kitchen, make... don't they? These guys. Yeah. <laughs> make games in He's the kitchen. He's also making a game. It says coming soon. Casey's Gold, also for the twenty six hundred. So, yeah, they're they're found some kind of niche which people want to buy. I think I don't know. I, I yeah. never heard of it before, but it, it's cool that uh, that they're working on stuff. The again. Kitchen Brothers, maybe. Thank you for the corrections. We don't. We have an email. I'll leave it over to you, Diego, to to read. Okay, thank you. So we have an email from Caleb, and he says, "Hey guys, listener from the beginning, I find myself playing old games that I used to play when I was a kid, but as an adult, I think they are not great anymore. So, what games have you played again from your youth that you don't like no more? Also, please cover snacks again. I have tried some you said and were good." Well, thank you, Caleb, for reaching out to us. And uh, well, thank about you. the snacks, okay. I sorry that today we went on a tangent on uh, another type of uh, food, but I think I can promise that we'll cover snacks again, maybe after I finish paying that mortgage for that fine dining. But <laughs> I think you are asking a very interesting questions. Because usually we talk a lot about games that we played in the youth and we still play or we would like to play, would like to find them again. But what are the games you guys have played a lot, perhaps in your youth, but you don't like anymore? But you answer first. You're the one who's leaving the the email. (laughs) All right. Okay, I can go first. Uh, It's not that easy question at all. But I really think that mainly it's those games that were technically great back then, but perhaps didn't have a mechanic to match. And I'm, I'm afraid that's mainly, for me, mainly Amiga games. Uh, yeah. So I, I have many yeah. of those that I was all the, the rave about back then, uh, such as uh, Shadow of the Beast, uh, Sword of Sodan, Blood Money, I can think on the top of my head. And I realized that um, mainly at that time I was attracted by the stunning graphics, uh, surrounding sound, all, the, all those technical advancements. And now they are still very much in the past and they don't give me anything anymore. And unfortunately, the gameplay, I realized it was not that good. I have the same with uh, games I have a really fond memory of, of the Bitmap Brothers, all the games on the Amiga, like uh, Xenon 2 or uh, yeah. or uh, Gods, stuff like mm-hmm. that. And uh, I tried these games not long ago, and they're really badly designed. Or the game design is pretty bad, and the, the, the graphics are still hold up. It's really good and sound as well, but... Um, yeah, you're easily impressed as a kid, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And you you don't look at gameplay. You just see nice pictures on the screen and then you think it's good. But uh, for me, these these are almost unplayable now. I think there's something to say as well that from the fact that <clears throat> we're coming from a different era. So we were raised with teletext and pixels and Pong and then the Spectrum, for me at least. And so seeing something that Shadow of the Beast came out was just like, I mean... If it was even the worst game on earth, oh, it's so beautiful to to behold, and and I think it has a, a different impact nowadays. I don't think you can really compare anything like that, you know, from 
10 years ago to now, I don't think there's a, that big of a difference as it has been in the past. Well, there's still a lot of differences, but uh, it, it's get, getting smaller. But maybe you can say that uh, in about 20 years again that you think these yeah, games maybe, are maybe pretty right. ugly. So, <laughs> or, yeah, I don't know. But uh, I also have more recent examples. I was just playing a game which is uh, Exodiac, which is uh, a throwback to Star Fox games. Ah, the, yeah, yeah. Or on the Super NES which is a really early 3D game, and I love that game. But nowadays, it's you see it's maybe running at 10 frames per second, and the playability of that game is... It's very low. You see that it's great looking, and you see that it, it sounds great, and the game feel is great, but this, the low frame rate is really hindering the experience. And you can say the same for stuff like GoldenEye on the Nintendo 64. Also, really low frame rate. Yeah, I tried and, that. That's and, horrible. <laughs> and re- yeah, and really, <laughs> sorry, uh, the control sc- schema are not up to snuff anymore. It's really weird to control. So these are games that are really hard to get back to. I also played Duke Nukem 3D not long ago, and I used to love that game as a kid. I made made, made maps for it and a lot of stuff. And now, yeah, you see the flaws in the level design and the, the texture design. There's it's really confusing maps and it, like newer shooters are really a lot better designed. So, yeah, they're not as fun as I remembered. Yeah, for me, I would say basically 99% of the games I have played. I, oh, really? I... Wow. No, I... I, I, I Normally, it's the other way around. I have a lot of games I didn't like as a kid and now really like. Yeah, I have the same feelings. I was about to say that for me too, uh, lots of games that I loved and still love, lots of games that I totally overlooked back then and then I discovered 20, 30 years later, and just a bunch that I really left behind my back. But maybe I was lucky, I don't know. Let's say PC games I can still probably play. But uh, you go back to Amiga. I did play recently North versus South, for example, or on some other... North and th- South? Yeah, no, yeah, sorry, yeah, North and South. And I don't remember what other games, but when I tried them, uh, about one of them, incidentally, was Bitmap Brothers uh, Gods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just like, oh, I don't know. I mean, they're beautiful, but still, it's best left into my memory somehow. But there's a lot of them. For me, there's a lot of them. I try and I'm like, mm, no, mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that for me, it, it also matters that I had very different uh, habits of purchasing games for different computers. Well, you you know already by now that I've always been a home computer guy, not a console guy. And in fact, my, my first console that I bought was a PS3. So I became interested in consoles only in recent years. But back then I had the Commodores, the 64, Amiga, then I moved to DOS and Windows, and I had also many of these at the same time. But I had different habits of purchasing games because for the Commodore 64 and you know how it used to be back then in Italy in the 80s that there was this huge lack of laws about software um, yeah we talked copyrights. about copyrights yeah, yeah yeah so basically it, it was 
the norm in Italy was to buy magazines at newspaper kiosks, with, which came with uh, a tape with perhaps five or ten games, and sometimes even one side for a computer and the other side for another computer. So you bought these bundles, and of course many of these games were very B-level games or C-level games, and others were top-notch. So because of that, you would try all the game and you, you would notice which ones had merit and were fun to play. So with the 64, I'm in this situation that I, I have a lot of overlooked games that I didn't notice back then. And those that I noticed, I probably still like them because they were the best of those. But um, by the time I got the Amiga, the, the, the law had improved and uh, you just had to buy the originals. And um, then at that age, I was very much after these technical innovations and I was easily fooled into buying a game just because it looked good. So that's why I had this. And by the time I moved to uh, DOS and Windows, I was carefully selecting the games for other reasons. And I think I can't think of a DOS game or a Windows game that nowadays I would just want to get rid of because I, I still think I like them all, as a matter of fact. So that's my explanation why it, all, all those games that fit in Caleb's question are, for me, are from Amiga. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It's more like uh, all the beautiful games which don't have any substance. Yeah, I think that's a, mm. a great answer. That's maybe for a lot of people, that, that's the answer as well. I think I experienced the same, but let's say only on PC. Like uh, it's, I think there I was more mature to understand what was a good game and what wasn't a good game. And then I started selecting the games I play. And, and I still play some of them nowadays. The, like Diablo is one of the franchises that I still play, for example. Um, mm, but that's a great game. And, yeah. But yeah, for example, Unreal was a really beautiful game on PC when it released. Mm. Mm, yeah, but yeah. when you play it now, it's a bit boring. It's not bad, but it's just, yeah, not the greatest game. In it. <laughs> yeah, it's game design, isn't it? That's missing game design, proper game design. Yeah, it's more like a really technical showpiece. And, and we have become really good at it now. And so good that you get addicted to some games as well, you know. So it's, it's good in one way, but it's a bit of a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah, that it's keeps tension is there has to be some sort of hook all the time to get you back into the game and some of the old games are just slow or boring or not happening a lot or just not great paced or yeah that's so yeah, yeah, yeah. that that's that's yeah i think that those are the games which are yeah falling short now all right. Well, uh, thank you, Caleb. Uh, game at newgameoflame.com is where you can write emails. Okay, so we're going to wrap it up now. Uh, any shout outs? I'm going to do a quick one to Retro Asylum, especially Mark and Mads, who are always reaching out to us. You're doing a great job. And congratulations, uh, Mark, Kit, for being part of the big family now. And I'm sure I'm going to see you grow and get better and better, as you said. Quick shout out also to MT for helping us out with all his great video game knowledge. And now, yes, Diego, do you want to do the last uh, salutes before we close this very long episode? Well, I just want 
to thank you all for listening up to another episode of New Game Old Flame. And also, if you wish, remember, you can reach us out on our Discord channel. Okay, so we'll leave you with a small did you know. So we found a little bit of a repository of weirdly fan, fun facts before we say goodbye. Uh, and this one is about an NES game, once again, the NES game Werewolf, that was originally supposed to be a Wolverine game. And then they lost the license, uh, but many enemies are still clearly X-Men. And including the last boss, which just looks like Magneto. Having said that, see you next time. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.